concludes. This is verse 35 through 41. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man, and he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man replied, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. That is the word of the Lord this morning. May we hear it well. Kids, if you are here and you're going to be dismissed to Children's Church, I think that I see at least one of you, um, we'll dismiss you. And Esri, I think, is going to pass around the Peterson and Daphne jar. For those who are new to us, this jar is a jar that we collect on a weekly basis for our friends Peterson and Daphne who live in Haiti. Uh, we sponsor them, and we're able to help cover some of their basic needs. And we do this as a church because we deeply value uh, social concern. We value bringing the love of God into the mess of life uh, in our homes, in our city, in our town, and in our world. So that is why we pass a jar like that. As they are going, I'm going to pray for them. Lord God, we thank you so much that our kids can get a greater view of the world. Uh, we thank you that we get to sponsor a couple of kids uh, in Haiti. And we pray, Lord, today for Peterson. Uh, we pray for Daphne. Lord, we pray that in a real way they would sense your presence. And we pray, Lord, that through our gifts to them, uh, they would have the needs that they, that they need, that are required, and that they would grow in their knowledge and faith of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are words, words when spoken out loud, uh, words that give me a physical response. You know, you know what I mean? Thank you, Esri. For example, a word like needle. I say I hear a word like needle and my head starts to spin and I have to find something to steady myself. I didn't always used to be like that. I could tell you the day and time it happened, but now a word like needle gets me kind of woozy. Other words, there's a word like, I said it a couple weeks ago, snakes. Oh, I don't like them. When I hear the word snake, my eyes start to dart. This is like legitimate. My eyes start to dart. My feet start to shuffle just by hearing that word. Here's another one. Public speaking. When I hear the word public speaking, my hands get cold. Those who have shaken them before the service know this. I start to sweat. My heart starts to race about 40 beats per minute more than normal. There are words in our language that elicit a physical response from me. And I would guess that there are words that do the same for you guys. Just a guess. Perhaps when I say the word spiders. 
Perhaps if I say the word clowns. Don't, don't laugh. Don't laugh. There are people who legitimately have phobias of clowns. Maybe if you hear the words, no, mommy, you feel the blood rush from your stomach all the way up into your face, and you know you're about to explode. There are words in our language that elicit a physical response from us. Somebody say amen. Amen. And I am going to wager that there are words, if you are a Christian, and if you're not following Christ yet, it may not apply to you, okay? But there are words that as a Christian elicit that same sort of physical response in you. Just a guess. And I would bet one of those words is evangelism. Evangelism, sharing your faith. When I say a word like that, there are people who, this is crazy, there are people who get real excited. There are people who, you know, when I say a word like evangelism, they start thinking, what divine appointment is God going to put in my place on the drive home that I can share what Pastor James talked about today in church? There are ones who for months will start praying for that person sitting next to them on the plane trip. Lord Jesus, make them ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people who when the alarm clock rings in the morning, their first thought is, who can I share? Who can I share? They don't think about coffee. They think about evangelism. Okay, and for those of you who have that natural God-given gift, God bless you. I'm happy for you, and may God bless the fruits of your labor with fruits upon fruits upon fruits for his kingdom. But let me fill you in on a secret. Most people don't have that response. In fact, when I say the word evangelism, there's a lot of Christians that the first thing that pops in their mind is like, oh, shoot, there's four, spirits, four laws of like spiritual, oh, goodness, what was it? The four laws of spiritual something or other. Now, was there two laws or three laws or five laws? I just don't know. When you hear the word evangelism, they start thinking, ah, oh, two years ago, Pastor James preached a sermon on a Romans road, and there was like on-ramps and off-ramps and road marks, and was it Romans 6, and was it Romans 3, and was it Romans 36? No, there's, no th- there's not 36 chapters in Romans. What can- <gasps> there are people, when I say the word evangelism, that, that think to themselves, I've offended some people when I tried to share Jesus. I don't want to do that again. If I share Jesus at work, I'm going to get a pink slip because I've crossed the the work and religion divide. When I hear the word evangelism, I think of the training that my Sunday school teacher gave me. And wouldn't you know it, next thing you know, I'm on the floor in fetal position, rocking back and forth with a thumb in the mouth, asking for mommy. Am I the only one that that happens to? (laughs) I know if I leave an open question, someone's going to answer that. The word evangelism elicits all sorts of responses from people, physical responses. Oh, goodness. How do we get over that? How do we overcome that if our physical response is a negative response? I'm hoping that this morning we tackle that. But I want to pray one more time because I think, I think something like this requires God's hand. So... Lord Jesus, would you forgive us, please, for the fear and anxiety we may carry when we think about sharing our faith? Would you forgive us for the opportunities we have missed, the opportunities you have laid right into our lap, and we have shied away because we are scared? God, would you forgive us 
for making this harder than it needs to be. And Jesus, I pray that this morning you would set us free from this fear of sharing our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the middle of a sermon series that we have titled, With Jesus. And in this series, we are putting ourselves into the stories with Jesus. And these stories are taking us to the cross of Good Friday, to the empty tomb of Sunday, and beyond. So far in our series, we have been with Jesus in the wilderness for his temptations. We have been with Jesus after dark with Nicodemus. Last week, we spent a little time with Jesus at a well, and today we spend some time with Jesus on the road. And we spend time with them on the road in John chapter 9, which happens to be, I think, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. I love the wit that takes place in there. I love the conflict that happens. I love the life change that you see. Tim and I were talking last Sunday night about this chapter, trying to figure out, God, where are you going to take this Sunday morning? And he said, James, I don't know where you're going because there's like 50 different directions you could go with this text. And that's true. And I'm not even going the direction that I originally thought I was going to go. Because as I spent time with Jesus on the road this past week, I realized that what he wants us to see this morning is that we get to see that this is a story of evangelism. And my hope is that by the time we're done, those who have a negative response will feel a little bit more at ease, a little bit more encouraged, and a little bit more equipped. Evangelism is a word that, if you've been in the church for a while, you've been trained in, right? Four spiritual laws, Romans Road, evangelism explosion, all those things. And it's difficult, and we leave worse off than we came. This morning, I want to make it super simple. And I want to tell you right off the bat that the main point of the entire sermon, the main point of all of this, is to quite simply speak what you know. Speak what you know. That's the secret sauce to evangelism. That's what our story is all about today. Speak what you know. In our story, our unnamed, uh, our unnamed friend who was born blind, but Jesus opened his eyes, he gave us the best teaching we could possibly ever get, the best training we could possibly ever get in this idea of evangelism. We find it in chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. It says, so for the second time they called in this man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. I know this, the man says. I was blind and now I see. See, I said at the beginning, if I say the word evangelism, for a lot of people, it gives them a little negative physical response, right? So for the rest of the message, we're, we're going to talk about cake. Yeah, because when I say the word cake, you guys are like, I'm, I'm coming over. You get excited, right? So we're going to talk about the ingredients in this evangelism cake, the things that go into the pie that makes it what it can be. And if at any point during this message you start getting a little overwhelmed, if you start, your head starts to spin, your palms start to get sweaty, and you start thinking, evangelism, 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 just go back to the main point. Speak what you know. 
Speak what you know. We're on the same page? Let's have a little fun this morning. Ingredient number one in our evangelism cake is this. Jesus makes the first move. Jesus makes the first move. We see that in John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man that had been born blind from birth. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man that had been born blind from birth. Question, did the man see Jesus? No, he was blind. Did the man even know when Jesus came over to him? How long had Jesus been standing next to the man before he realized he was there? Did Jesus and the disciples have that conversation about the man's sin from birth or not right next to the guy where he could hear it? Or did he have it on the other side of the road where they were just looking at him? We don't know. But what we do know that this verse tells us is that Jesus makes the first move. Jesus approaches first. You see this throughout the Gospels. You see it four chapters earlier in John chapter 5 when Jesus did something very similar at the pool of Bethesda. There was a guy there that had been crippled for 38 years. Our story goes that Jesus saw him, walked up to him, made the first move, and said, excuse me, would you like to get well? Jesus makes the first move. He did it again in our story. Only this time he didn't talk to him that we can tell. There was no introductions, no questions asked. He walked up, spits in the dirt, makes a smoothie out of it, and rubs it on a guy's face, and then gives him further instructions. Verses 6 and 7, we see that. That's exactly what we see. Then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the guy's eyes, and he told him, Here's the instructions. Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. So the question comes, did the the man see Jesus after he came back and washed? No. Not yet. At least not that we can see in our text. But what we do see is this. Jesus had moved. Jesus had taken steps. Jesus had made the first move towards this man's journey towards belief. Now, in our our denominational history, in our faith tradition, we call that provenient grace. Say it with me. Provenient grace. Okay? What that means is God makes the first move. That means that God is working on the hearts of people even before they know God is working on their hearts. How does that look like? I mean, that's a big churchy word. So how does that play out practically? Well, for somebody, it could mean a, they're, they're traveling and they've had a long day, hard day of meetings, and they go to the motel and they're exhausted, and yet they open their, their drawer on the side of the motel bed and they find a Gideon's Bible and they start to read. That's provenient grace. For someone, it could mean coming to the Easter season and seeing on TV a commercial for a church putting on the Passion Play. And they think, oh, passion. Maybe I should go. It's provenient grace. For some people, that could mean a longtime boyfriend and girlfriend having conversations about Jesus, even though they grew up in different faith traditions. That's provenient grace. Provenient grace is different for different people. In any of those situations, it's quite simply this. God making the move first. That's ingredient number one in this evangelism cake. So far, so good. Yeah? Okay, 
What's the main point? You can look at your notes if you have to. What's the main point? Speak what you know. I'll ask this again. The answer is going to be the same every single time. Okay? Speak what you know. And the first ingredient is what? Jesus makes the first move. Fantastic. Second ingredient is this. When someone has a genuine encounter with Jesus, a real encounter, other people are going to notice. Other people are going to notice. We see this in verses 8 and 9. The blind man, formerly blind man's neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said that no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, it's me, it's me, yes, I'm the same one. When someone has a genuine encounter with Jesus, other people will notice. Jenny, I like to pick on you a lot during services, don't I? Okay, you came to faith a little later in life, right? Do you remember the person you were before you came to faith? Oh, yeah, is that a different person than it is today? Because you had an encounter with Jesus. It's a different person. You clean your heart, your mind, your mouth, and other people noticed. Pat's a different person than he was 20 years ago. You know why? Because he had an, an encounter with Jesus. If my high school classmates walked in the door right now, they would walk in and say, is that, is that James? Is he standing in front of people? Is he talking? Is he talking about that Jesus guy? Can't be him. Just looks like him. When people have an encounter with Jesus, other people notice. Remember the Apostle Paul? We talk a lot about him because most of his letters make up most of the New Testament. Okay? The Apostle Paul didn't always like Christians. In fact, he really didn't like them. You ever met a Christian you didn't like? You don't have, don't, don't point. You ever met a Christian you wanted to beat up? Again, don't point. That's every single Christian for the Apostle Paul. But then something happened. He had an encounter with Jesus. And something changed. It was on a road in Damascus. On the way to Damascus, he met Jesus. And listen to what happens. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus after he met Jesus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Now all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Verse 22 in Acts chapter 9 says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. When people have an encounter with Jesus, other people are going to notice. Now, I want to tell you something. As we're making this evangelism cake, this ingredient is the heaviest ingredient. It's the weightiest ingredient. Because if, if we're going to share our faith, which we are called to do, being disciples, making disciples, means we have to share our faith, okay? If we're going to share our faith with others, it means that we need to make sure we're acting like Christ acted. Before we can tell somebody about Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we have to be perfect and have it all figured out, because none of us will ever get there. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 
So that's why this ingredient is weighty. If other people are going to notice, oh my goodness, you got to live like Christ more than just 9.30 to 11 on Sunday mornings. Questions? Good. Two ingredients so far. First one is this. Jesus makes the first move. Second ingredient, other people are going to notice. And the main point today, speak what you know. Speak what you know. Here's the next ingredient. When somebody notices that you've had an encounter with Christ, there's a chance they're going to ask you about it. Now, they may not know how to ask you about it. It may be something like, whoa, like you just reacted different to that situation than you ever used to react. How come? You may think that God doesn't drop things in our lap like that. Oh, he does. He does. So when that happens, I want to tell you exactly what you should do. Are you ready? Share your experience. Share your experience. And be ready to share it in two minutes or less. I mean, because honestly, if somebody says, what changed? And you rattle off your life story and it takes an hour and a half, they're going to check out. Okay? It's just the truth of the matter. So be ready to share your experience. This ties back to our main point of speak what you know, but it is slightly different. Share your experience. Our guy, our formerly blind friend, does just that. Verses 10 and 11. The beggar kept saying, I'm the one, I'm the one. And they said to him, who healed you? What happened? Listen to this. He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Notice that the man did not go into any theological justification of the incarnational transformation of he didn't go into churchy words. He just talked about what happened to him. And he continued to do that in our story every single time he was asked. Okay? Verse 13 to 15. Then they took the man who had been blind to see the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed, I could see. Told him what happened. Next time, he's asked again. Verses 24 and 25, kind of our key verses for today. So for a second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and said to him, God should get glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, now I see. And he did it again, verse 30. They were continuing to hound him, these crazy religious leaders. Got to watch out for them. Okay, continuing to hound him, saying, we don't even know where this man came from. And, and he replied, that's strange, because he healed my eyes. He told him his experience. As simple as that. Friends, First Church, it doesn't have to be harder than that. Share your experience. Tell you what, if I go back to a 20th class reunion, someone's bound to say to me, James, remember we used to play football? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You used to get so mad so quick, and some of the words out of your mouth were not pretty. What happened? And I tell him, well, you remember I went to college to, to play football? Well, at Carroll College, I re-met Jesus. And he put a calm in me, inwardly and outwardly, that I can't explain. 
He tamed my tongue. I don't know how he did it, but that's my story. Can the person who asked that argue with me? No, because that's my experience. And you notice I added a little bit of Jesus into it. And then I trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. Do you know why? Jesus makes the first move. We already talked about that. Okay? If they're intrigued, if God's been doing some prevenient grace things in them, they may ask a follow-up question. But if he doesn't, then maybe this is the first conversation in their journey. But I don't push it. I speak my experience, I share my experience in a conversational type of way. Shouldn't that make us feel better about sharing our faith? Shouldn't that make us feel better about evangelism? Whew, yeah. It's going to get even better. Okay? Next ingredient is this. If you are speaking what you know, main point of the day, okay, if you're speaking what you know and somebody actually starts asking you questions, there is a really good chance they're going to ask you a question that you don't have an answer to. So what do you say? I don't know. It's already up on the screen, isn't it? I don't know. If someone asks you a question and you don't know, what do you say? That sounds convincing, okay? Say it with me. I don't know. It's okay to say I don't know. Now, bonus points if you say, but let's figure it out together. But that's bonus, okay? The man in our story today said this exact same thing. A couple of times. We're back in verse 10 to 12, right? The the friends were asking him, who healed you? What happened? He tells the story of it again. In verse 12, they say, where is he now? I don't know, he replied. He didn't make something up. I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, and Jesus was with him. No, he didn't make it up. He said, I don't know. Later on, when the Pharisees continued to hound him, they were asking him questions that were beyond his pay grade. What did he say? Verse 24 and 25. For the second time, they called the man in who had been blind and told him God should get glory for this because we know, they didn't know, we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner or not. It's okay to say that. Now, doesn't that set you free? Here's a slight rabbit trail. I hope that the longer you follow Christ, the more comfortable you are sharing your experience. And I hope that the longer you follow Christ, the more mature your faith becomes. And I hope that the longer you follow Christ, the more you know Scripture. Okay? This man must have known something, maybe. Because in one of his responses, there's almost a direct echo of something the prophet Isaiah said. We're in verse 30. He says, why, that's strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Prophet Isaiah says this in chapter 35, verse 4 and 5. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Did this man know this passage? I don't know. But my hope is that as we grow in our faith, 
we may be able to tie some of our story back into Scripture. We don't have to, okay? So far, this man is telling us to speak what we know, to share our experience. And he's telling us that it's okay to say, I don't know. Those are some of the ingredients we've looked at so far, right? Jesus makes the first move. Other people are going to notice. Share your experience. It's okay to say, I don't know. And what's the main point? Speak what you know. Speak what you know. One more ingredient in this pie, and then there's going to be a little asterisk or a little italics, okay? Final ingredient is this. When you are doing evangelism, when you're sharing your story, remember that for the person you're sharing your story to, this is a process. So allow for the process. Allow for the process. You know, I think part of our fear of doing evangelism is we don't want to come across as that street corner sandwich board evangelist, do we? I mean, you, you've seen them. Hey, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you confessed him with your mouth and do you believe in your heart? Because if you haven't, you walk across the street, get hit by a bus, you're going to die, you're going to burn in hell. So confess. If you came to faith in Jesus that way, Lord bless you, there was five of you in the entire world. <laughs> For everybody else, it's a process. It's a process. And this is beautiful. Watch this through the story. We get to see this process with this blind man who's no longer blind. Okay? This is great. Oh, all right. I'm excited. When Jesus first came up to the man, before he spat in the dirt, did he say, do you believe in me? No. After he made the mud mascara, did he say, okay, before I tell you what's next, confess me as Lord? No. Jesus knows it's a process. Before the man comes to an actual verbal confession of faith, it takes time. And first off, it starts with a guy just experiencing Jesus. We see this again, verse 10 and 11. They asked, who healed you? What happened? Listen to this. Our blind friend told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. Spread it over my eyes, you know the rest of it. The man they call Jesus. The first thing our blind friend confessed is that Jesus was a human. It sounds simple enough, but for so many people, that's the first step in their faith journey, admitting the fact that Jesus lived. He was a real guy. Step one in this process. Step two, the guy goes and processes this incident. And he would need to process, right? Was blind, no longer blind. So he goes and talks to his friends about it. That's verses 8 through 12. He goes and processes the incident with the religious leaders. That's verses 13 to 15. And then the man is asked another pointed question. Verse 17. The Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what is your opinion about this man who, who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. I think he must be a prophet. I love the New Testament that it adds the word think in there because it, to me, screams of the processing element. Okay? The, the original Greek doesn't. It just says he is a prophet. Now, for a lot of us, we think, that's huge. 
That's fantastic. He's making leaps and bounds towards belief. If you look at the original word prophet and what it means, in that usage, how he's saying it, it simply means that this guy believed Jesus had some sort of permission from God to speak on God's behalf. God gave him permission to to speak on God's behalf. And we know that there was a lot of prophets before Jesus. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. I mean, we could name off a whole slew of them. This guy is simply putting Jesus in that same category. He's saying, you know what? He's got something to do with God. There's something different about him. The process is taking place. Okay, first, this guy lived. Second, hmm, there's something special about him, something unique about him. And then we get to that next part. I'm a little hesitant sharing it because I don't want to put words into his mouth. But the next part of the guy saying, I think I want to be a disciple, which means a learner. I think I want to learn more about this Jesus. Verse 26 and 27, after the Pharisees continued to ask him, you know, to tell him about it, they said, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Or in the English standard, it says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples too? And also, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but to me that kind of says he's saying, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to explore. I'm willing to be a follower at least for a while until I can figure more out about this Jesus guy. Do you see the process taking shape? Jesus really existed. He was some sort of special of God. I think I want to learn more about him. And finally, finally, after numerous conversations, numerous times to process, interactions with friends, family, religious leaders, finally, after all of that, we get to a verbal confession of faith. Verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. There he goes, taking first steps again. He found the man and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Yes, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. At this point, cue the angel choirs. There's a party going on in heaven. Some will confess faith in Christ, and they are worshiping. Amen, hallelujah, amen again, right? Yeah, you just saw the evangelism process happen. It didn't happen just, it does sometimes, but not normally. It's a process. The ingredients were added to the I believe in Jesus cake, and it ended up with a guy worshiping Christ. I told you there'd be an asterisk or a, an italics. When I bake a cake, I bake it from a box. Forgive me. Forgive me, please. I like directions, okay? And on the back of a box, it gives me step-by-step, step-by-step directions. Add this, add that, add that. At the bottom of every uh, ingredient, like recipe, there's an asterisk or italics. And it says, if you are at higher elevation, add another egg and bake it at a higher temperature. Right? Okay, so we're adding ingredients to our evangelism cake. And I want to give you an asterisk. I want to give you a heads up, a warning. 
Because the more comfortable we get, the more people we're going to share with. And here is our warning. Not everyone's going to be as excited about it as you are. Not everyone's going to share the joy you have. And not everyone is going to want to take part in the whole Jesus thing. Not everybody is going to want to take part in the whole Jesus thing. The Pharisees didn't want to. You saw that throughout the story. I don't have to show you verses. The man's parents didn't want to say anything about Jesus. Verses 20 to 23. Not everyone was excited. Not every story is going to end with somebody saying, yes, I believe in worshiping Jesus. But does that mean we shouldn't share? No. No. If we know there's going to be resistance, if we know that not everyone will want to hear more, learn more, ask for more, if we know that, we just simply keep speaking what we know. We keep speaking what we know. So what do we do with this? Like seriously, what do we do with it? Let's go do evangelism. Right? And about half of you right now started having that physical response again. (laughs) Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Okay? We're not going to leave it as that. You've heard that the the pie has to be made. The ingredients have to be there. And I want to give you something very, very practical. I I don't want to give it to you. I want God to give you something very, very practical this morning. Okay? We're going to take communion, which we've been doing every every Sunday since Ash Wednesday. The ushers are going to come forward. They're going to hand it out. The worship team is going to play a song. Okay, you'll know the song. Don't sing with it yet. Because what I want you to do while the communion is being passed out is this. Think back to your life and think of one to two things. One to two practical examples where you could say, that was Jesus working in me. One to two ways you could say, I don't know everything, but I know this. This happened to me, and it's a Jesus thing. Just one to two things, okay? And when God gives you those one to two things, thank him for them. Thank him for working in your life. Thank him for not giving up on you. Thank him for his sacrifice that we're going to be remembering. After that, feel free to take your communion, your bread, your juice, and then sing along. So that's what we're doing. We're going super practical one to two things in your life. So for Miss Donna, that's a few more things than me, but it's still one or two practical things. I want to invite the ushers forward who are going to hand out communion. The worship team, in fact, before you guys, worship team, before you guys go up, why don't you guys take your communion on the way up, okay? Uh, ushers, go ahead and come forward. I'm going to pray for it. And again, simple instructions, one to two things that God has done in your life that you could share. Thank him for him. Thank him for his sacrifice. Take the communion. Let me pray for it. And then the worship team will go ahead and come on forward and take it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. My prayer this morning for this part is simple. May we remember your broken body for us. May we remember your shed blood for us. May we remember in such a way that it spurs us to share the story. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship team.
Seem hungry 
song we've mixed a little bit of uh, evangelism cake today right every cake needs a cherry on top here it is you have your one to two things in mind okay if you haven't taken your communion elements feel free to do so now you have those one or two things God has given them to you here's the cherry on top in our story in our story Jesus sent the man to a pool a pool of Siloam Siloam meant sent meant Sent, okay? One of our core beliefs here at First Church is that we need to live lives on purpose. We need to live lives sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What if this morning, through giving you one to two things that you could share your experience with others about, Jesus is saying, it's time to get up, wash the mud off your face, go, be sent and share. What if he's saying that? What if we actually did that this week? You know what? I'm going to pray for it. I am going to ask Jesus to give every single one of us an opportunity to share those one to two things with somebody. Imagine what could happen. Perhaps the kingdom grows. Perhaps some people take steps closer to the kingdom. Doesn't that sound good? Let me stand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be part of a thousand tongues to sing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want this week, as scary as the term evangelism may be, we want to be able to share these one to two things that you have given us. And Jesus, we thank you that you have given us one to two things. Thank you that you've never given up on us, but that you have worked in each of our lives in some form or fashion. And whether we are still exploring this Jesus guy or whether we have been following him for decades and decades and decades, either way, you are writing a story in our lives that, need to be, that needs to be told so that other people can hear the story of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this week you would put somebody in each of our lives that we can share with, that we can just share what you have done in our lives in a conversational, relaxed, peaceful way. Help us to speak what we know, Lord Jesus. And as we do, we ask that you would be brought glory. We want to be part of a thousand tongues that sing to you. God, write your story and help us to share it well. In Jesus' name, amen.